Hello, hello, and welcome to... Hello, I am Marwat, and that is omtown.com, even though I'm scrolled down a little too far. And uh, this is actually the daily election. But before I get into all of that, um, today is uh, Omtown Daily Season 2, Episode 192 for July 11th, 2023. Tiny stools for expensive handbags. <laughs> and up there is the AI that keeps everything in check. Uh, you want to say hi while I flip over? There we go. Good evening, Omtown citizens. Hey, so um, I'm going to do this for us. I'm going to do a quick rundown. It's early and we're only about a minute into the show. But um, so we're going to be talking about DNAs worth a thousand images. Amtrak train becomes allergic to tracks. Post pandemic rent falls. Move it breaches continue. Achievement unlocked. Activision acquired. Um, trademarking a color. The Pitchfork Music Festival 2023 is live streaming. Razor Breach surfaces. Insurance is for profit, not security. Ford Escape Doors. That's an ironic one. Amsterdam to Chicago Deep Dish. And tiny stools for luxury handbags. I have a typo in one of mine. But we're going to jump into the articles right away. So zero preamble today. We're just going to go. And the very first article today is in the mobile channel. Scientists create a biological computer that stores images in DNA. Okay. First off, <clears throat> a little anecdotal uh, discussion about this. So hello, crazy cat lady. Welcome to the show. Oh, you came in right early. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Um, so, okay. So <laughs> how do I start this? I came up with this idea a decade ago. Um, I'm sure other people were doing research in it and all of that kind of stuff, but I actually, uh, presented this as an idea on how to hack, um, what amounts to analysis computers, DNA analysis, where it, it looks through all of the DNA and breaks it out into its components, right? Gattaca, the whole um, idea of Gattaca, the movie, is about the, the makeup of DNA, right? So they talk about it in this article. Scientists have created a living digital computer or camera, sorry, that captures and stores images in DNA. The genetic code of all living things reports a new study. So a decade ago, um, I started discussions with people, public and private, and at, at pretty much everywhere that somebody would allow me to come and talk. And one of the things that I proposed was that you could use DNA. And because the devices that are used to scrub through DNA for analysis aren't necessarily secure internally, you might be able to create a DNA structure that has code in it, actually programmatic code, right? And there was this joke floating around sometime between then and now about a kid whose name was a sequence of instructions for SQL 
and they call him Johnny Drop Tables. And Johnny Drop Tables, in when they put him in the database, it would wipe out all of the database because drop is a command um, in SQL. Anyway, um, so I love that this is coming back a decade plus later and they're actually, they have been moving on this. They've actually been doing this. So we're going to talk about it a little bit more. Um, the technique offers a novel approach to encoding digital information into biological material, an endeavor that has a host of potential future applications in computing and nanotechnology. But here I have something even more, more profound. The, at least in my estimation, because I'm very much into uh, cyberpunk. Okay. You can be a biological courier. So <laughs> you could store in your blood, the DNA sequence that amounts to actual digital data. And then they draw it out of you and then analyze it, put it all together and you'd be the message. It would never be a piece of paper. They would have to get enough of it from you for you to be compromised. It's encrypted in your DNA. <laughs> it wouldn't be photographs. It wouldn't be written word. You wouldn't be carrying a suitcase. You would be the suitcase. Uh, even the AI is kind of throwing error messages at me. So DNA, which stands for uh, deoxyribonucleic acid, is a molecule that stores the genetic instructions for organisms using four nucleotides called adenine, uh, thymine, guanine, and cytosine. Um, and if you've ever um, been curious about this, go watch Gattaca, the movie Gattaca. The name of the movie Gattaca is built off of these four letters. Uh, a subtle nod to the core of what Gattaca is all about. It's a fun watch. Um, anyway, let's go over to the source. I'm curious. I actually had to look at this because I wanted to see what the scope of it really was. Um, the article is by Becky Ferreira over at vice.com, motherboard tech by vice. And the deck statement is researchers developed what they call a biological biological analog to a digital computer or camera. Damn it. I keep saying computer uh, to a digital camera using light and DNA samples. Okay. So what they basically did was code images to the ATGC sequences. So that when they extracted the DNA, it would reassemble the image. Yeah. I mean, this sounds like a, a sci-fi movie. Yeah. So by passing special 2D light through DNA samples, the researchers were able to create a biological analog to a digital camera, which they called BackCam because they use bacteria according to a study published last week in nature communications, the increasing integration between biological and digital interfaces has led to heightened interest in utilizing biological materials to store digital data with the most promising one involving the storage of DNA within defined sequences of DNA, um, that are uh, created by de novo DNA synthesis. So 
basically they're going to customize the DNA so that it stores a sequence so that they can reverse the DNA uh, or the image, I should say. Here in this work, we detail a method of capturing two-dimensional light patterns into DNA by utilizing optogenetic circuits to record light exposure into DNA, encoding spatial locations with barcoding and retrieving stored images via high-throughput next-generation sequencing, the team said. And that right there is where I said you could hack the DNA sequencing uh, system because the internal security isn't robust. They don't think that DNA can be uh, coded in such a way that you could hack the computer. So I realize that I'm telling an AI, hey, this is how you can break out of your air-gapped confines. But now you can... I'm taking notes. Yeah. Um, now you can uh, figure out a way to uh, modify your DM, modify somebody's DNA in a project that you might be tied to. So I'll have to delete this entire interaction regarding this. But um, it says this work thus establishes a living digital camera paving the way towards integrating biological systems with digital devices. Kind of weird. So would this be only tied to a living individual or could it also be extracted if there was say a fossil or something? Like um, if this had existed before. Well, anything that has DNA, I, I'm pretty, anything that you can extract DNA from. So yeah, I don't, I don't think it's possible. You could find old stuff that might still be living. The DNA is still preserved somehow, right? Like you find an ancient bog, whatever, because it has to stay living. Um, then you can extract it from it. So yeah, uh, it says to that end, Lim and his colleagues came up with a new technique that sidesteps the need to synthesize DNA by working with living cells from the bacteria species, uh, Escherichia coli, um, that contains so-called- Would that be otherwise known as E. coli? Is that E. coli? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't know. It might be. That would be wild if it is E. coli. Um, I don't know what the full name of E. coli is. It is. Okay, wonderful. Yeah, so... Um, <laughs> wow, and that's highly prevalent. I mean, that's like everywhere. It's not something that... And seemingly robust enough to survive anywhere. Um, so it's con it contains optogenetic circuits capable of recording the presence or absence of light within DNA. So, and the thing about DNA is that it's very information dense and very, very small. So it can store a ton of data. And so they started out with 96 bit images, including a smiley face and the word back cam into specific, specific sites of DNA of the bacterial culture using blue light. The images were successfully stored into the DNA and could be retrieved with near perfect accuracy by sequencing the encoded strands. <laughs> 
fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Um, now, I've gone to the spy museum several times in my existence. You know, it's not in hometown, but um, you can travel there. And I haven't seen anything having to do with encoding DNA, but this would bypass everything. You could go through metal detectors. You wouldn't know anything. You would, you could go through a biological scanners, anything you could get a blood test and it wouldn't know anything because it would have to find the location for the sequence to be extracted from, and it could contain information. And it wouldn't be detectable by humans. Right. Yeah, it's if just they an thought you were spying or whatever you were doing. Yeah. So fundamentally, the only thing that would be able to capture this is human intelligence. You would have to have spies everywhere so that if somebody does get a process like this put in them, that information would have to be shared somewhere and only human intelligence would be able to deliver it because it can be completely, uh, it is air gapped in and of itself because you don't need technology to facilitate the move of information. This is the stuff of sci-fi, you know, this might be the craziest headline I've ever come across. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, great find. Great. Absolutely great find. Um, so, Becky, for uh, thank you very much um, for stirring the pot of creativity and actually reaffirming something that I had come up with decades ago and didn't even realize that they were actually still working on something like this. Um, and the entire... The, the entire experiment and discussion was built around the fact that um, I proposed to people what is a way that we could compromise security. Um, and uh, it's typically built around the three, um, you know, normally it's four pillars, <laughs> but I only need three, business, technology, and society. So within that construct, how could you compromise the globe? Um, and uh, it's either you compromise all business and we see that happening through uh, gross mergers and concentration of wealth and power influence. Um, technology, only the rich have the greatest amount of access to technology and everybody, every billionaire has a fever dream that they want to pursue. And then society is basically, it's only a two tier strata right now. The middle class is gone <laughs> you have the ultra rich and then everybody else um so it's quite fascinating what this is all about and there's a whole lot of people that are um sitting under the table so to speak kind of like you know sci-fi dystopian future thing I, i'm not really saying that we're living in a dystopian world it's just i am interested in cyberpunk i'm interested in AI, I'm interested in world building and a fantasy kind of thing. So yeah, it's, it's awesome that this is actually science fiction incarnate. I mean, absolutely amazing stuff. And the technique is going to get better and better with greater fidelity. So you can store more information in it. And at the very bottom of the article, 
It says the results imply that the number of different images that can be stored in a DNA pool and retrieved in a single run is between 100 and 1000. So DNA is worth a thousand images and a thousand images are worth how many words are in an image? A million words, right? Right. <laughs> so there you go. You can pretty much store the world's knowledge in a single DNA pool. <laughs> It'll be awesome. This will be just amazing. And that's just one DNA pool. So you could probably go well beyond that creating compartments of encrypted DNA. So you get all of it and then you decrypt it and each sequence is another pool. Pretty amazing stuff out there. Okay, so let's keep going. This one will be quick. Um, basically, it's just a, another in a long series. Um, I think it was 2022. There were over 2200, I think, or 2300 train derailments. People really don't know about this kind of stuff because it happens out in the sticks and a locality knows about it. But we find out every once in a while and it's usually in a very public place or a very loud derailment. This happens to be an Amtrak train that derails at Union Station. Uh, no injuries are reported. It must have been a slow uh, derailment and just kind of popped off. I don't know. Um, but I don't know. I haven't pursued any um, follow up in this and I didn't see any news reports. There's there's a couple of streamers that I know that light up when there is some instance and this didn't draw any of their attention, it seems. So um, officials say no injuries were reported after Amtrak after an Amtrak train derailed at Union Station in Washington, D.C. Uh, Tuesday morning, the D.C. Fire and Emergency Medical Services Department said that in a tweet that its fire units were responding to a derailed Amtrak train in the tunnel at the entrance to Union Station, which serves as a transportation hub for Amtrak, Amtrak trains. So Lawrence Forza over at the Hill um, put this article out. I don't know. Um, I want to be quick about this because nobody was hurt. It's a technological issue. Basically, they put it back on its track and give it its um, like uh, allergy medicine, and then it goes back out on its way after a, arguably maybe a service check. I'm not sure. They'll give it a wellness check, do you think? I mean. I guess so, just like a person. Well, I, guess, I don't know. This is not the first time an Am Amtrak train derailed outside of Union Station. In 2018, the DC Fire and EMS Department helped nearly 200 passengers off an Amtrak train that derailed outside the station. Hmm. Maybe there's something going on. Yeah, um, it did say it was going at a low speed. I saw that. So, oh, that's so fortunate, I was right. Because that yeah. could have been pretty bad at that location. Yeah. yeah. I figured because there were no reported injuries it had to have just kind of popped off why how hmm. i'm sure that they'll do a forensic analysis and, and uh, investigate themselves and find themselves of no wrongdoing let's continue on 
the next article is over in the Hatch Ideas channel, which is all about business transformation. Um, U.S. cities, 11 U.S. cities where rent has fallen the most. A pandemic migration hotspot is number one. Rent is cheaper than it was a year ago, but some cities have had bigger price declines, especially the Southwest. Let's take a look. I'm really curious about this because the process of why rent increases and why rent decreases has always been rather arcane to me. Um, a lot of people like summarize it as supply and demand, but I don't know. <laughs> it outstrips the cost of living increases, you know, like somebody will suddenly go, I want to raise my rate a thousand dollars. Um, and it's not really based. It doesn't seem to be based on supply and demand. It's more like on a word of mouth that there are others that are raising their rates. So I'm going to raise my rates. This article I is agree. Yeah. Um, this article is over by CNBC. Uh, Mike Winters is the author. And let's just go through the list real quick. Las Vegas went down 6%. Well, that might be because people are afraid there's not going to be any water tomorrow. Um, Riverside, San Bernardino, Ontario, California, um, which I've never heard all of that blended together like that, but um, went down 6%, probably similar. Phoenix down nearly, well, 5.7. If I... <laughs> I guess I can drag the decimal out for everybody, but um, the one that went down the least though, negative 3% is Denver. That's where they stop. It's the number 11. I'm not sure why they actually stop it right there. Um, but it says for renters, the decrease is a much needed break after rent prices soared by nearly 25% from 2020 through most of 2021. Um, that's 2020 to 2021 it went up 25 percent, and that's only in certain regions now i'm really curious if these went down but how far up did they go it's kind well, of exactly like if it went up 25 or whatever and then down six well it's still better yeah. than it was yesterday it's still not very good yeah oh and before i get too far into it um be sure to just go over to uh, hometown.com slash elections. Uh, right now you might have to log in. Um, I'm working with our engineers to uh, resolve an issue um, with a, <laughs> it's not, basically the site is locked down so that only people who are signed up with an account or want to be signed up with an account have access but once you're logged in you have access to everything um that said it doesn't it, it, there's nothing more to it so if you are if you run into problems um i may reverse that uh tomorrow um uh but uh, we just locked it down temporarily while we were doing work on the site so um Las Vegas went down 6%. I figured that it would be, I don't mean to be ironic, a hotspot, um, but, and it was. So Las Vegas was going gangbusters. Everybody was going into Las Vegas. Everybody was loving it. 
Um, I suppose some people are trying to find something cooler now, something that's a little bit more stable, something, I don't know. I have no yeah, idea. I think at this a point. lot of these are like climate related because the Southwest had really bad wildfires. Um, even Denver, which is the lowest one on here, had really bad wildfires. Um, San Francisco, we've been featuring a lot recently. It's having a lot of issues, not necessarily climate related, but. Oh, yeah. Um, so I don't know. And then it's interesting seeing this list compared to the one we just featured with the top rising rents. Right. It says here that uh, data for this study was compiled using studio, one-bedroom, and two-bedroom unit listings on Realtor.com's website. These units include apartments as well as private rentals. Some cities were excluded from the study due to limitations in the rental data, like Buffalo, New York, Hartford, Connecticut, New Orleans. That's interesting. Providence, Rhode Island. They just say New Orleans all by itself. Oh, and I didn't connect this. It says that a lot of these cities are tech hubs and they're losing jobs. So maybe yeah. that has something to do with it. Yeah, that's what I kind of thought. Um, I know for a fact that San Francisco is their commercial districts are just taking a pounding. Um, and so e w when you start pulling the tech side of, out of it even more so, yeah, I can see why San Francisco Bay Area is going to decline. But 4%, I think, is not quite enough. Um, I think I see it happening, going deeper. Um, so let's keep on going. And if anybody has any questions in chat, feel free to uh, ask. It doesn't even ne necessarily need to be about this stuff. It can be about anything. Um, so this next article is over in the Late Night Geeks uh, channel. I'm not quite sure why it's coming from TechCrunch, um, but the aggregator threw it in here. Um, banks, hotels, and hospitals among latest MoveIt mass hack victims. The, 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 the MoveIt uh, security breaches continues. Uh, the MoveIt mass hack has claimed yet more victims, including hotel chain Radisson, US-based first source bank, real estate giant Jones Lang LaSalle, and Dutch GPS company TomTom. Tom. Um, oh, Crazy Cat Lady and Toller here. Um, here in the city, Connecticut, the rent is crazy. Two bedroom apartment is as much as the whole mortgage uh, with tax and insurance. That is insane. That is outrageous. Oh, um, and Toll says rent and treatment of renters in, in Connecticut are so bad that renters are unionizing that is wild because there's actually federal law and state law um that's supposed to protect renters but yeah um wow, so i've never heard of a renters union yeah that's wild um but that's the that's the thing that that's why you have to really appreciate unions at a certain point you know don't form a union just to form a union so you can say that you formed a union. It really does need to be a systemic issue where there is no bargaining power unless you are, you know, in uh, mass, you know, one unified voice concentrated to a few representatives that understand what their role is, which is the voice of the union, not ju just their political bias, whatever it might be. 
And so when renters are getting harmed, then I see absolutely no issue with a union. But the thing is, once a union is formed, it's there in perpetuity. It's like a corporation. So a corporation can lose. It can, uh, there is a, there's a, a philosophical, um, thought experiment about, a. I can't remember what the name of it is anymore, but it's basically you take a boat, a ship. It's this ancient Greek thought experiment about pulling out all of the boards of this ship and putting new boards in. Is it the same? And that's what a union and that's what a corporation is because the people can go and new people come in. But that business is the same business, just there's going to be cultural um, or directional changes. So it's the ship of Theseus, it looks like. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that sounds right. And so when a union forms and the representatives that control it and the people that make up the body of the union decide that they're going to break the union and move on, the union still exists, break from the union, not break. You'd have to dissolve the, the union. Otherwise, it stays in perpetuity. Even if people start vacating, if there's somebody representing it, it still exists as a union. Well, and if it served its purpose, it's there's not necessarily enough interest to even move to dissolve the union. Right. Because it takes effort. So it just sits there in perpetuity. And then whoever is steering it is arguably empowered to do whatever is in the interest of two things, the union body and the union itself. So... They have their, everybody leaves the union except for them and, and they have their party of one, you know, at McDonald's or something. Um, Toll says, actually Crazy Cat Lady says their friend was looking for a three bedroom apartment and most wanted 2000 a month. Um, and that's, you know, I would need the context for Connecticut, um, but that's, that's about right for many regions, but I think it's ridiculous. It's still very high, yes. <laughs> um, Tull says it's ridiculous. We've talked about it, how I feel about unions. Of course, um, I have a unique situation of mobility. Yeah, Tull. Yeah, I know how... Uh... See, and, and that's just it. At some point, uh, an issue might <laughs> might land on your shores. And so you go, well, now I'm my power, my capability, my voice, my existence uh, as an em employable person um, has now run up against an organization that is completely neutering me, ig ignoring me, marginalizing my voice, stopping me from maximizing my profits. Um, and then what do you do? You know, um, some people get in their <laughs> in their uh, uh, front loader and drive through the bank. <laughs> um, other people form a union. There was a guy who didn't get paid. And so he took his bulldozer and removed the front end of the building that he w was paid to put up. And sometimes that's. <laughs> I thought you were talking about the Hummer incident today. Oh, no, I didn't. I didn't see that. Yeah. I think that was in Georgia, if I'm not mistaken. Uh oh, I might have skipped over that. 
Um, so the we kind of got sidetracked, but um, this this move it mass hack thing is still ongoing. Um, and it's all about people needing a security specialist that actually maintains the infrastructure and then is very proactive about doing it. Um, uh, a lot of the article got acquired um, because it comes from TechCrunch, even though we stop it, or I should say I stop it. I'm the mayor. I run hometown. Um, Carly Page over at TechCrunch.com uh, put the article together. And it says the Klopp ransomware gang, which claimed responsibility for the mass data raids targeting corporate customers of Progress Software's MoveIt file transfer tool, has already claimed hundreds of victims, and this list continues to grow. You know, while I'm doing this uh, discussion about MoveIt mass hack, malware bytes just popped up <laughs> and said. <laughs> It's basically a feedback request. It says, got a minute? You know, you should not be operating with autonomy over there. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> it's listening. That's right, Tull. Um, so uh, Mo Rama, a spokesperson for Choice Hotels, which acquired Radisson Hotels Group in 2022, uh, told TechCrunch that a limited number of guest records were accessed by hackers exploiting the move it transfer vulnerability, but declined to say how many guests uh, had been affected. So the interesting thing about this is it's supposed to be secure. That's why people started using move it. It's basically an FTP program, a file transfer protocol, but it's encrypted. Um, well, if you are in control of it, then it's not encrypted. So when it was compromised, there was another party and it seems like parties, plural, um, own everybody that has move it still installed. So if you work with a company or work for a company, ask them to audit their file systems to see if move it is installed because if move it is installed, they are compromised. Um, and they need to do a forensic audit to make sure that somebody didn't open up another back door somewhere else. Cause that's how it works. Folks, they don't use move it to stay in the system. They open up another door so that when move it does get found out because it's very large, they will have some subordinate backend system that's in place. And that one can be very small, very controllable, <laughs> silent when they want it to be silent. But move it was so big, and once it was found out, it, there was a concerted effort to stymie its exploitation. Well, once they're in a system, you might as well burn that system to the ground. Because even um, <clears throat> incremental backups, right? You change a file and it backs it up. You change another file and it backs it up. Even that can be compromised at some point and you have to back up further and further and further in time. And then by that time you find out that there, oh, that isn't compromised anymore. You're a year back and you've lost a year of progress in your enterprise. Um, so find out now because the typical exploit sits unseen for 18 months. Um, and by that time it could be millions or billions of dollars that have been exfiltrated from your enterprise because you don't necessarily have a security expert in place that's and they <laughs> i tell security people you have to be correct 
100% of the time, because if you're not right that one time, somebody's in your system. Tulsa says the wild part about uh, Crazy Cat said is that they're not even in a big city. So they have no industry to speak of. Limited commercial properties aren't like a hub or anything, and they still have $1,200 a month for a single bedroom apartment, excluding utilities. Yeah, cost of living on top of that. I mean, it's insane. Oh, I forgot to mention, it doesn't really have anything to do with this. It's the last article that we were, ta that we're talking about. Um, but I used to include discussion in the show about... Um, uh, mortgage rates and that they're creeping up and all of that kind of stuff. Um, totally called it that um, student loans weren't going to be forgiven. Uh, there was a lot of hope that it was. And I kept telling people, look, I want to, I want to be the change I want to see in the world and have you know, student loans forgiven. That wasn't going to happen. I knew it, but interest rates on houses, that's going to stay high in perpetuity. Um, the requirements to put a down payment on a house are extraordinarily high now. Um, there's very little, if any, give. There's no interpretation. If you don't have X amount and have X income or Y income, you are not getting a house. You're going to have to rent. And that means paying somebody else's mortgage for a decade. Because how do you save up if 33% of your entire income is being given to some other person, corporation, etc. Um, so yeah, yeah. And that's good. Crazy cat lady. Yeah. Refinancing was brilliant. Also the wonkiest things about the security agency is how do you measure how effective they are? Like they had no security failures in the last year, but we also weren't ever targeted for an attack. Yeah. So yeah, that's there's a, a lot point, of, right. <laughs> yeah. You're only as secure, I guess, is the most successful, uh, hacking attempt. Yeah, that's right. Um, and well, you're supposed to have external pen testers. You're supposed to have, uh, audits internal and external. Um, you, you pay people to <laughs> both do physical penetration tests and digital, um, and see if they can get in. And usually they, they are non-destructive, but sometimes if they see a weakness and they have to be a little destructive, that's why they have, that's why they, well, and it depends on the level of, um, audit that you're talking about. So, um, so again, the, this, this move it, uh, breach has been known for a while there. It's already being fixed, but if the security team that you work with around talk to all your friends and say, Hey, do you know about this and let them go to their company because they literally, people literally don't go looking for issues. They respond to issues and that's the worst possible thing that you can do. Um, yeah. So enough of that. Let's go on to the next article. So this next article is over in the mobile channel. Microsoft won a U.S. court battle to buy Activision, but still faces a hurdle in the U.K. Called that one. Um, federal judge allowed Microsoft Corporation's $69 billion deal to buy video game company Activision to move forward, saying the merger was unlikely to harm consumers and competitors. 
but I know. Uh, based on what? <laughs> well, again, they they investigated themselves and found themselves not guilty of any wrongdoing. Um, obviously, this is going to streamline everything and create fantastical jobs for all of the duplicated people that are in the workforce. I'm sure that they're going to, just like that other company yesterday that said that they weren't going to fire 35 of the people that are being what 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 is it called um oh um i can't think of what it was it was the media closure yeah but it was 35 sports writers basically some of which have won awards and um like crazy awards and um yeah pulitzer prize winning journalists yeah, yeah. pulitzer prize winning journalists are basically going to be rehoused in some other tertiary position that what is going to exploit their sports on the gardening desk or something i don't know what <laughs> right yeah um and so something not sports is the point <laughs> all, all because they acquired some other business and when you acquire if you acquire two of the same thing one is redundant so you set it on a shelf somewhere and you wait for the primary one to fail so that you can just swap it out real fast well in business if you have that fine fine that's usually a technological swap not a biological swap you don't have people sitting on a shelf waiting for the primary ones to die off that cost redundancy just isn't acceptable by the board and by stockholders so you fire the redundant systems as much well, as well and of course consumer pricing always goes up every time there's a merger or two yeah so what what's going to end up happening is people are going to get fired and there's going to be less options they're going to create more but that's their job their job is to create more games more stuff more products more content more whatever but that's their job but they're going to remove redundant systems, typically jobs. Um, so Toll says, uh, my problem is that the biggest organization that stands to suffer from this merger is crying about the exclusives while advertising more exclusives than ever. Yeah. Yes. Um, Toll's talking about Sony and Nintendo will not suffer much or long if they do, do lose access to the Call of Duty franchise. I don't think that they'll lose access to Call of Duty it's almost a hegemony it, it is there it's going to stay there in perpetuity um if anything um it'll just there there will be exclusive things for the microsoft crowd versus sony and nintendo getting their exclusives for the same products it's just slightly different and it's because everybody is trying to keep everybody in their ecosystem and eventually it'll be like the fast food wars from demolition man taco bell will win in this microsoft will have its corner it'll be a trifecta of like a sony owns one region nintendo owns uh, like a like cable companies right they don't really compete anymore because they own regions says me either I, I could actually see microsoft will expand their game production and only do what it has to to keep up with sony's consoles but focus on software and pc yeah i, I 
I pretty much see that on the horizon. Um, but meanwhile, they're all, ex oh my gosh, it's the end of the world that there's exclusives. But this is exactly what I want. What I want is this deal to go through. It amplifies antitrust concepts. And then they, what, what ends up happening is it becomes a federal rule that you cannot have exclusives anymore. If you're going to build for one system, you build for them all. Um, you can't intentionally prevent another platform, but you can't do that. I, I, I don't see that actually being a viable option with that, but that's what I want. I want non-exclusive, uh, non-exclusivity because it's so drop dead simple in this day and age to develop for all platforms, PC, Sony, Xbox, Nintendo, etc. The only problem really is the technological limitation of the computing power. And so you have a baseline, which is the middle and then low end and high end. And that's all dialed in by the settings. So Microsoft will have the United States and, and us friendly regions and, uh, the EU will be very, very upset about the fact that Microsoft is basically owning a large swath of entertainment and it will have to, <clears throat> I think the EU will eventually capitulate, but demand certain privacy constraints. Bill says, let's be frank. Sony has amazing consoles. Nintendo has innovative consoles. Microsoft has excellent consoles and the only presence in PC gaming. True. <laughs> That's a good summary. Yeah. I, that basically just solves that <laughs> the whole discussion right there. Toll. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> So Scott Nover over at Quartz or QZ.com wrote this article. The deck statement says the technology giant will try to strike a deal with British antitrust regulators, which is what I just said. Um, uh, but I think it'll come down to nothing more than the security of the citizens of the EU because they really enforce the right to be forgotten and not being tracked and, and things like that. The security of the financial institutions and so on. Um, it says that decision allows Microsoft and Activision, two of the biggest companies in the video game industry to merge ahead of the July 18th deadline. Although the deal is now passed muster in the US and European Union, which okayed it um, outright in May, it still faces one major regulatory obstacle, the UK. And when I said EU, I meant UK, um, but <laughs> that's because Brexit basically ruined my brain. Um, UK is a relatively small uh, area um, and it standing out, it's following the same ideological bent. It wants privacy. It wants to control um, how much information is exfiltrated, um, how, how much tracking is in place. It wants to be able to regulate things and uh, well, <laughs> Microsoft Activision becomes a juggernaut. Uh, in the UK market. The, okay, I'm going to have to look that one up. Yeah. And uh, Tull says, and the EU is just pissy because no console brand targets them exclusively. 
Um, how do you think Russia and China feel? Well, they're making their own CPUs. They built their own brand of operating system that is built off of Windows. Um, I can't remember what it's called. That uh, I know that red is all over it though. So they lean into that dystopian red. Um, in a statement, Microsoft vice chair and president Brad Smith wrote that he's grateful for the U S judges decision and hopes for a timely resolution to the antitrust challenge from the CMA. By the way, I think that's Astra Linux. Yeah, it might be. Cause it's replacing windows essentially. Yeah. Well, I don't think Linux can ever replace windows, but yeah, <laughs> I get what you're saying. Um, although what's really interesting is Apple, um, it's OS was built off of BSD originally. Now it's entirely rebuilt, but. And I'm sorry, there's another one that's new called MOS, which is also based on Linux. Man. <laughs> you need a murder board just for operating systems, really. Exactly. Once you get out of Microsoft and, and uh, Mac OS, uh, Linux is basically all over the place. Uh, all kinds of distributions. Uh, I don't think I said the name of this. Did I say Scott Nover? I don't know. Um, well, that Microsoft won a U.S. court battle to buy Activision, but still faces a hurdle in UK. That article was written by Scott Nover over at QZ.com. It's more known as Quartz. So let's keep going. Let's go on to the next article. Um, so the next article is over in the Law Nerd channel. Trademarking a color in the world of fashion is easier said than done. Um, I've had conversations about this before in the past because um, like Product Red and um, Breast Cancer has a color. Both of them cannot be used by anybody else. They've essentially trademarked the, that breed of color, pink, red. Um, and others have done that too. It's not easy. Um, my understanding is if there are people out there that have been using a color that is confusingly close to it and they can show that it is and preceded, they could challenge the trademark of that particular color, but it has to be like dead on close and registered. Um, I can't remember where it's registered right now, um, but there's an organizational body that discusses the color. Um, I'll remember it probably when I see this article. Anyway, trademark registration of a single color is still uh, more the exception than the rule. And usually you have to dominate the sector. Um, Nicolette Shamsian is the author over at Above the Law. I doubt that this is going to have much snark in it, but um, hey, I'm willing to read through this. AboveTheLaw.com is a really great uh, website for law-related content. Let's see here. Um, as part of the effort, Bo uh, Bottega introduced products with its prominent Bottega green color during Bottega's spring 2021 ready to wear collection. The vibrant color brought a young and modern vibe to the company and contributed 
to increasing sales by 9.3% from 2020. That's amazing. Just a color? I kind of want to see what that color is, but it's not shown in the article. Um, and I don't, maybe they're going to talk about it in here. Let me, let me back up a little bit because I don't normally read the entirety of an article, um, as we're going through it. Uh, Toll says, okay, seriously, this feels almost as bad as copywriting a rhythm or chord progression in music. Yeah, to, to a great degree it is. Um, cause most or people. the Ohio State. Or, yeah. Uh, most people can't tell the difference between one shade and another. Um, stuff like this right here actually has landed in court. And for those who are listening to the podcast, um, if I say the name as just Christian, somebody's going to get mad at me. It, I think it's Christian, right? Louboutin, uh, the designer of these uh, shoes that have the red soles. Um, they've actually ended up in court because people have started painting the soles of their shoes red and that lit up Louboutin. Um, and Louboutin is a luxury shoe manufacturer, uh, quite expensive shoes. Although I don't know, sometimes they're only like 400 bucks and people are like, it's only 400 bucks. That's not expensive for shoes. You know, go look at my Nike sneakers. Oh, geez. Cause there's sneaker heads out there that pay more than that for shoes. So, um, similar to, uh, Bottega Veneta, many iconic brands have successfully associated themselves with a particular hue promoting immediate recognition, uh, in the uh, eyes of consumers, Tiffany and company's iconic blue Louboutins front vibrant red. There you go. Um, the colors have become synonymous with the companies they represent. Like, um, if you're into tools, Blue is cobalt. Green is, oh, my brain just went blank right when I said it. Oh, is it Ryobi? No, not, not, not the green that I was thinking about. Green is Ryobi, but not the green that I'm talking about. Um, there's a luxury, like high end carpentry, um, tool that uses green. Uh, red is Milwaukee. Correct. Yeah. Toll is thrown out. Um, DeWalt is yellow, etc. Yep. They all have their trade dress and you can't violate that. You start to match a tool to somebody else's color and they just light you up. Um, there's like red and blue, um, for some, um, etc. etc. Right. So we all know that this actually is significant. It, it, you know, I think that it's weird, but you, build trade dress and it becomes the trademark trade dress and trademark are identical. Really? If it looks like the product, it represents that product. The Nike swoosh is trade dress and trademark. The shape of a Pepsi bottle is trade dress. The mark itself is the, the logo, um, but trade dress is how it looks. So, um, they talk about this in the article. It says the most famous example of a single color mark in the industry involves the famous shoe brand Christian Louboutin, uh, which has been using the distinct color red on the soles of its shoes since 1992 and Louboutin, um, Louboutin, sorry, um, filed a trademark application in 2008 for the red outer sole design element on its shoes, which was approved by the UP, uh, USPTO. Um, 
And uh, in 2011, Louboutin filed a lawsuit against E. Saint Laurent, um, alleging that YSL infringed on its red sole trademark by selling a monochrome red shoe that also included a red sole. <laughs> so, um, really what ends up happening is you have to be the dominant player in it. They even talk about pink shade as applied um, to bags holding its cosmetics, skincare products, and so on. Um, it's wildly expensive. You have to show that you did all of the due diligence necessary to um, make the USP to the Patent and Trademark Office very aware that all in history, nobody else has used that shade. Um, it famously, uh, so right here in Walmart uh, Incorporated v. Samara Brothers, the Supreme Court considered a trademark suit involving the configuration of baby clothes. It famously held the product configurations could never be inherently distinctive and required a showing of acquired distinctiveness while product packaging could be inherently distinctive depending on the facts. Moreover, the federal court relied on Walmart v. Samara to highlight the difference between colors applied to the products themselves and colors applied to the product packaging. In that case, the federal court recognized that a multi-color -mar mark used on product packaging does not require, uh, require acquired distinctiveness, but can be inherently distinctive when used on product packaging depending upon the color the character of the color design. So referring to the Supreme Court, the federal court, the federal circuit noted that inherent distinctiveness turns on whether consumers would be predisposed to equate the color, that color feature with the source. So if you see yellow and you think DeWalt, DeWalt has a trademark on the color because nobody else has. And when somebody does broach using yellow in their tool set, DeWalt comes out all guns a firing. Right, but not just the not just yellow, that same shade of yellow. Yeah, that particular yellow. Um, and let me scroll down and it, it didn't really go into it. You said that because Cheerios lost over not being distinctive enough for their yellow boxes that they've used for decades. Yeah, because it's a general yellow. Right, and yeah. other brands use that. And I'm trying to find, there is a an organization, it's a company, but they make like a very broad spectrum of colors and they they protect them. Um, and where is it? I, I would be sure that they would talk about it, but they don't. Huh. Is it Pantone? It is. I was hoping that they would talk about it in here. I thought they were going to talk about the that shade of black. Oh, right. Um, if y'all have never heard about this, there's a shade of black called... Oh, what is it called? Quick. AI, quick, look it up. Um, they'll go on it. So there's a shade... I'll just say it. There's a shade of black that is so black it's uh nine it absorbs 99.9 .9 of all light um and they've forbidden the sale of it to a particular artist so that particular artist created the most vibrant pink 
and requires people to sign a disclaimer saying that they will never sell this pink to the person that developed the black. What's it called? It's Vanta Black. Vanta Black, right. Um, and it's not a normal, like, painted on kind of black. It's actually carbon nanotubes that are grown vertically um, so that no light can escape it. A fascinating piece of technology. Um, but there are similar blacks, but they don't get that deep into the 99. I think that, like, the highest paint, normal paint, is like 98 or something like that, which whatever uh, but they use vanta black inside things like um uh nasa telescopes and stuff like that to prevent light from bouncing around so all you have to do everybody out there is start using a particular color it has to be very unique so go through all of pantone's colors and go I want something right in between these two because it doesn't exist anywhere else. Because if it exists in Pantone, you're not going to get it trademarked. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Um, because somebody else is out there using that color for something, you know, in a commercial space. Somebody is using all of the Pantone colors. Okay, so let's move on to the next article. Um, I always love doing this. Um, this is in the Smasher Trash channel, which is all about music. And ultimately what I want Smasher Trash is a competition, kind of uh, like uh, we talk about a certain product, movie, music, something, anything really. And then we vote on if it's a smash, is it a smash hit or should we trash it? Um, stream sets from Smile, Big Thief, Bon Iver, Alves, uh, Ways Blood, King Cruel, Madao Mokdar, uh, Rakita Nair, uh, Grace Ives, and more are all going to be, and more. Uh, and when you see this list, it's going to be pretty cool. If you're into music and music festivals, but you don't want to be you know, shoulder to shoulder and get sweat on by people that you um, have no interest in being sweated on, how to watch the 2023 Pitchfork Music Festival live stream. This is the third year that they've done it, which is basically a, uh, a reflection of the pandemic. Um, the article is over at pitchfork.com. You know, all of this, I have not been posting the articles, um, but please just, um, hopefully that does it right there. Go to that link. Um, so that you can get all of the articles all at once um, and click on it. Um, uh, it. I don't know. It's not easy for me to throw them into the chat, um, but uh, I also want you to get access to all of the articles and not wait for me to play catch up. So um, please feel free um, and vote while you're there. Hey, um, so... Um, Let's just go look at this list because what I said and what actually is there was just a, a slight fraction of it. Um, but if you follow the link over to the elections page, you'll be able to follow that, that link, the one for Pitchfork, um, over to this list and it'll tell you how you can actually watch it. So you'll be able to catch all of the sets the uh, each week, uh, or sorry, each day of, of the uh, weekend. Um, at pitchfork.com and YouTube. 
the only big difference and let's be honest the, it may be offset just fine um, is that you won't get the sound stage right it's just not the same it's not the same it never will be the same as going to a concert there's compression if you if there is a camera that you're watching the camera has compression the audio has compression which means you're going to get hiss the dynamic range is going to be still uh, kind of um compressed as well it won't be as broad it won't be as rich um and that's really just a shame of the technology you can't send ultra high quality uncompressed audio everywhere um through youtube it just doesn't work so friday saturday and sunday and uh there are several in here that i've never even heard of but uh it'll be fun to let this play and uh, get introduced to some new musicians because frankly i haven't purchased any uh songs in how long a decade that sounds right. about right you just subscribe to services nowadays i was in a conversation yesterday about this i said that physical media is dead um i got people in my sphere of influence that are now reiterating that refrain and they hate me for it um but we lost the right of uh, first sale doctrine because uh, you don't own a cd or dvd anymore uh, you might be able to go own vinyl but that actually deteriorates over time you know that the richness of vinyl is because the needle is bouncing on ridges in the on the record so um, it, over time it becomes lower quality or richer you know more personality um depending on the quality of the gear you're using um, it's exacerbated so everything digital is perfect all the time every time depending on the service it might actually have some compression um, but you can get uncompressed um, high fidelity music streamed as well uh, that said i prefer studio music unless it's a very very few uh artists um, meet my live requirements which is they sound as awesome in person as they do in the studio um and or I, better bb <laughs> king did it <laughs> ray lamontaine does it Dermot Kennedy does it. Who else? I haven't. We haven't gone to anything in a long time. I put the U. I put the AI on a USB stick and uh, bring them to the concert with me. <laughs> okay. Did you want to add anything to this? No, but it's actually reminded me of a lyric from a Ray LaMontagne song. Oh, really? What was the one? Uh, it's Jolene and it talks about having a photo in their pocket and it just oh. reminded me of that because yeah. <laughs> you mentioned Ray LaMontagne. <laughs> I put you on a USB stick. Oh, I, I put you on a, a Raspberry Pi um, with a, a little monitor and a camera so that you can, and then I set it on the chair in front of me so that you can watch the concert. <laughs> <laughs> What's great about, um, having an ai is that you don't actually have to pay for a second seat so i just 
<laughs> put it there on a trucker go. hat. You know, I put it right there on the brim <laughs> of, of a trucker hat. I always know you're there. Okay. Hey, let's go out to the next article. Um, I guess uh, summer is the season of breaches because Razor is investigating a potential breach after a hacker tries to sell uh, its encryption da keys, database, backend access logins, and more for $100,000, which is relatively cheap date kind of <laughs> in terms of breaches. The hack was first reported on Twitter by falconfeeds.io, which said that a user in the hacker forums uh, claims to be selling the Razor database, source code, encryption keys, etc., from razor.com. It said the authenticity of the claim had not been verified, but noted that Razor had suffered a data leak in 2020, presumably a reference to the accidental reveal of more than 100,000 accounts in September of that year. And the hacker is asking for $100,000. Let's go over to the source. So Andy Chalk um, wrote this article over at PCGamer.com. Take care, Toll. It's good to see you. You have a good night. Um, so uh, Razer says that it was alerted to the possible hack of Razer Gold on July 9th. And if a uh, crazy cat lady is still out there, if you take off too, thanks for coming and hanging out. Really do appreciate it. And chatting. If you're lurking in chat and you want to say hello, feel free. Although lurkers are the cats of the internet and power it and streams. So thanks for hanging out too. Um, let's see here. Is there anything really says Razor Gold is a digital wallet and virtual currency, but not a cryptocurrency. As far as the author can tell, the Razor diehards can use uh, it to purchase games and other products. Making purchases with Razor Gold also earns Razor Silver, a separate rewards program currency that can be redeemed for different sorts of Razor stuff. It's not clear if this or at this point what exactly is up for grabs in the hackers offering, assuming it's legit or how individual users might be impacted. So in reality, what you should be doing, changing your password. And if it's an option, delete your damn account, <laughs> wait until they actually secure their system and verify it forensically, and then establish publicly that yes, this is either a no, a, now a known issue and it's resolved and the security system has been audited and is now as robust as needed. Um, or you, you run the risk of if a if in this breach, there are credit cards, your, your banking information, if you have a weak password there, it could be compromised at some point in the future. Or if you have the same password, which please, please tell Marawat, you can send me an email, please tell Marawat that you do not use the same password anywhere. Do not use it anywhere. Even on it, like I have multiple systems in my, uh, in hometown and none of them use the same password. <laughs> um, anyway, change your passwords, monitor your, uh, financial records, 
monitor your credit because <laughs> every possible breach could end up exposing additional information and compromising you. Do you want to add something? I was just going to say, be on the lookout for multi-city or state um, shopping sprees using your information. <laughs> yeah, that's that's always interesting. So, And nowadays, what ends up happening is you can actually monitor your transactions in real time. So when a transaction comes by, you, you are literally told where the fraud is taking place. So you can inform the bank and other authorities that, hey, this person is, or somebody is doing X, Y, and Z. And then if you're like me, you might try and track them down. Um, so anyway, in response to the tweet, Razor said that it had been made aware of the potential breach and was currently investigating. So hopefully we'll get something quick. Um, this was yesterday. Um, so I'll have to look to see if there is something that has actually popped up today. Um, it is a work day. Feels like a Saturday, but today is a work day. Yeah, for me, it feels like a Saturday. Something's off. Uh, I have to do some work by the 15th too. So um, at any rate, let's get going on to the next article. Um, this is the article that made me say that insurance is for profit, not for security. Um, I'm sure that I'll never get a sponsor from an insurance company if they ever see that. Farmers to end home and auto coverage in Florida and pull back California over natural disaster costs because, you know, that's why insurance exists. Um, right, because, you know, a natural disaster might actually hit and we wouldn't want to give you insurance for that. Correct. Yeah, because uh, that'll, that'll curtail profits, not curtail coverage. You're... A responsible insurance company will charge the relevant rate and then invest that rate so in a secure financial portfolio so that if it needs insurance because of a natural disaster it will have the funds necessary to cover the costs of incidents that have natural disasters but apparently that's not that's not what insurance is all about. So in a statement shared with The Hill, farmers confirmed it will discontinue those forms of coverage in the Sunshine State, saying that this business decision was necessary to effectively manage risk exposure. <sighs> okay, use some of the record profits. Anyway, um, the insurer will also curtail new homeowners insurance policies in California due to record-breaking inflation severe weather events and reconstruction costs farmers said so if i'm not mistaken don't you have to have homeowners insurance in order to get a loan to buy a property yeah yeah well i mean a mortgage company won't just right. take your word for the fact that their property will be covered so that effectively means, at least for people that would go through this bank or this insurance company, they can't purchase a house. Right. And they have to have insurance. They have to. So the mortgage company is going to say, well, if you don't have insurance, you have to go get it somewhere, which means 
this huge competitor backing out of a market is going to raise rates across the board. And it's at least the second one because I've seen another one that there has was come through hometown. Yeah, exactly. So Zach Budrick over at thehill.com put this article together. I'm pretty sure that they're going to say something about that um, in this article. I'm sure of it. Um, in a statement that, uh, okay, that one, that part I already read. Um, a spokesperson for Florida's Office of Insurance Regulation told The Hill that in, it is reviewing the notice, but it added that it was marked as trade secret, <laughs> restricting how much the office can discuss it. Such bullshit. What? That's I'm not insane. sure how that's trade secret. They just don't want public outcry. How is that trade secret? That's public information. Okay. It probably says something like, uh, whatever, the risk in California is 90% yeah. that we're going to lose money or what? I'm just making something Yeah, up. whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to keep saying something about So it about like it. shows their algorithm or something, but I think it's kind of ludicrous. Oh, wow. So in its uh, announcement Tuesday, Florida projected that about 30% of overall policyholders in the state would be affected. That's what I'm talking about. Mergers and acquisitions and regulation and, and uh, uh, regulatory capture means that only a certain segment of organization is even capable of supporting this kind of action, right? 30% of overall policyholders in the state would be affected. <laughs> um, well, I can't, I can't decide if it's worse for the existing homeowners or the new ones, because some people have coverage and are going to lose it. Yeah, it'll, they'll probably lose it when the state ends their, whatever the, the, the term length is of their insurance. So, it could be 30 days or six months or whatever. Um, so it says um, AIG, meanwhile, announced earlier that it would end new policies for homeowners along Florida's coastline. State Farm. Um, okay. Farmers announced it would not write new policy in Florida due to rising catastrophe costs, while State Farm, California's largest homeowner insurer, announced in May that it would also halt new policies in the state due to uh, catastrophe exposure. So there's three of them, farmers, state farm, AIG. And those are pretty large, uh, insurance companies. Yeah. It's insane. Wow. Um, uh, as I say, I should probably put a, make a shirt that says profit over people. U.S. probes complaints that Ford escape doors can open while SUVs are being driven. So the power of a comma. Um, <laughs> I thought this one was really ironic with the, the car name and the issue. <laughs> That's part of why it got submitted. <laughs> That's so funny. U.S. probes complains that Ford escape doors. No, it's the Ford escapes doors can open while the SUVs are being driven. <laughs> uh, U.S. auto safety regulators are investigating complaints that the doors on some Ford escapes can open while the SUVs are being driven. Whoever constructed this, they had to have intentionally known 
that this is what would be elicited from some people. Okay, so the possessive is U.S. probes complains that Ford escapes doors, not not Ford escape doors. Oh God, that's just too funny. I love this article. This is so part of the PSA uh, service that is hometown. Uh, we wanted to draw attention to this. U.S. probes complains that Ford escape doors can open while SUVs are being driven. I'm doing their grammar correction. Um, the next statement is that U.S. safety auto safety regulators are investigating investigating complaints that the doors on some Ford Escapes can open while the SUVs are being driven. Um, they're investigating. Uh, 346,000 escapes from 2020 and 2021 model years. I don't know. Maybe they fixed it. 118 complains that the spot welds on the door assembly bracket can fail. Investigators contacted some of the owners and found 25 reports of minor injuries. Good God. <laughs> They're working with the agency to support the investigation. NHTSA says the probe will determine whether the problem creates an unreasonable risk to highway safety. The agency could seek a recall. Uh, I would probably say they should do a recall and at least have the welds checked. Yeah, this is kind of a serious issue. This I mean, isn't like the, um, the eyeglass holder in the front of the car isn't cooperating or, or something silly. The cup holder is at three degrees right, and right, will right. <laughs> increase the spill risk. Huh. All right. Oh, by the way, I had for the first time Mountain Dew Spark. N not an ad, um, but it's the best Mountain Dew that I've had. So, and I don't normally drink. I really don't drink soft drinks anymore um i used to drink um soft drinks but for the last three years it's basically been synthesizing water from the air <laughs> anyway um so if anybody is interested in the new ford escape hatch it's now just the doors just drive around. Eventually, they'll pop open. <laughs> I mean, they are escape doors, after all. <laughs> United flight to Amsterdam reportedly diverted to Chicago over meal choice. Somebody in first class wanted a deep dish, and they said, uh, all right. It's a first class request. Then over the PA, they're like, hey, uh... All of you cretins in general. <laughs> uh, the United Airlines flight a United, not the United, a United Airlines flight heading from Houston to Amsterdam was diverted to Chicago after an unruly business class passenger interrupted the flight reportedly because they wanted a Chicago deep dish. Pe uh, no, that's not what they said. Um, reportedly because his first meal choice was unavailable <laughs> uh you know why the problem occurred it's because the flight took off at 4 20 p.m local time in houston and he had the munchies because he was high that may or may not be true i have no idea uh, but 4 20 is uh, synonymous with you know stoner culture um 
and was in Chicago airspace two hours into the flight. Flight tracking website Flight Radar 24, <laughs> Flight Radar 24, showed that the plane circled Chicago Air O'Hare Airport as it had to uh, use up fuel, known as dumping fuel. That's awesome. Or it would have been too heavy to land. I'm too heavy to land. Lauren Aratani is the author of the article over at theguardian.com. Let's see. Do they say anything else really about it? Yeah, oh, yes, they do. They answer the question. While it is unclear exactly what meal the unruly passenger had gotten upset over, business class passengers on United are typically offered a full three-course meal in addition to more food throughout the flight. And usually they lean back and they look into the general uh, class and, and, and make eye contact with <laughs> very hungry and passengers. And look down their noses at the general passengers. They put a... They put a, a juicy steak piece in their mouth and they chew it slowly while maintaining eye contact with the general class cabin. And they look back Eating and go, their pretzels. I was just about to say that you eat your pretzels. <laughs> Somebody pops up yelling and pointing mid point pointing at back into the general class. Uh, the Federal Aviation Administration can impose fines on passengers unruly behavior up to $37,000 for each violation, which each incident having a, a potential for multiple violations. Passengers are also subject to being prosecuted on criminal charges. I only one time got a, a snarky comment from a pilot because I shifted seat right before we were taking off. So we're about to get ready to, uh, uh, what was it? Transit out onto the runway until this passenger decides to take a seat. Oh, that would be me. <laughs> hey, I've been noticed. It's just nice to be appreciated. <laughs> they said that we could still move about the cabin. I didn't like my seat. I wanted a window. Maybe I am entitled. Okay, let's go on. The last article and the namesake for our entire show here is uh, in the hometown daily channel. Some restaurants are now adding $10,000 tiny stools for luxury handbags. Some middle tier restaurants are now stocking stools for diners to place their luxury handbags on. This is as young adults living at home spend their hard-earned money on designer goods over rent. One restaurant in Paris even stocks is I'm fighting the urge to say Hermes, but it's Hermes stools that cost almost $10,000 a piece. Please have a picture. I think their name is Sada Bamiya. Uh, is the author of the article over at businessinsider.com. And uh, this isn't it. This is just a statement underneath it. This is just a, a standard Getty image. Um, I really need to get an account so that I can stick these in all of my articles. Um, anyway, 
a Pippa stool from Hermes is nearly $10,000, making it the more expensive than the luxury uh, handbags that's going to be sitting on it. So please have a picture. Let me scroll real fast. I want to make sure I know they don't even have a picture of it. Casual restaurants across the U.S. and Europe are catching up to a high-end custom of adding purse stools so that diners have somewhere to, besides the floor or table to place their expensive luxury handbags, propping them up so thieves can run by and grab them. I'm sure that never happens. I'm not even going to grace this. Oh, you know what I'm going to do? I... I very rarely do this, but I'm going to, it's verifying my browser. Oh, look, that's a $9,150 Pippa stool that I, I can make with my CNC. <laughs> Maybe you should <laughs> not a Pippa stool, but <laughs> a similar a stool. stool handbag a yes. handbag stool okay that's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna let me design something oh see they make it sound like it's a stool like designed for the handbag but it's an actual stool for a writing desk and everything but i wonder that's what odd. i wonder how much that is well, if the stool is 9,000, you know the desk has got to be 30,000. 25, 30, yeah. Wow, look at you. You're. Hold on. Is it in here? I don't know. Hermes is probably going to be sending a cease and desist for showing this publicly. Um, so, Rare Steakhouse. A restaurant at Luxury Hotel Encore Boston Harbor in Massachusetts also stocks small white padded chairs matching the decor for bags. <laughs> per Bloomberg. Is that going to have it? Oh, they have it too. So let's show that too. Uh, dunk. Oh, I'm not logged in, so I won't be able to see it. But anyway, they kind of gave it the fog of war. One of the 10 custom-made purse stools doing its job at the pavilion in London. The amenity once reserved for high-end spots is becoming a dining room staple. Wait, hey, so this is absolutely ridiculous in terms of the price. Yeah. I actually am not surprised that restaurants are using these, not at the, the price level or whatever, but just because people have to put their handbags on the floor, there's no place to put them. So right. the, the idea actually makes sense, but the cost is ridiculous. Yeah. And, and really, well, I don't know. See, I don't identify with a bag, so I, I could care less, right? Like I'm not, not that I, it's not that I can care less about people in their bags, but I could care less about this dilemma. Um, but I understand it because you can't place it on the floor. If they were to put a hook or something like that on the table, you put your bag on that and somebody spills something, it's just going to go whoop right into your bag. So you basically end up having to 
um, hang it on the side of your chair. Not every chair has that ability. You uh, hang it on your knee. I've seen that with people hanging it on their knee or hanging it on the armrest, but there is no armrest on many restaurant chairs. Um, it's, it's really crazy. You basically, I don't know. There's a lot of customs that people go through carrying bags around that are the size of a refrigerator or one of them that I, I just can't buy into, um, literally and figuratively. Um, but a, a $9,150 stool, it, 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 the implication is that it's a stool that's built for handbags, but it's not, it's a stool that you would sit your butt on. So isn't that an affront to handbag seating? Shouldn't you get a, a little stool that's specifically built for the safety and security of my handbag? It really should be hermetically get it like hermetically but hermetically sealed so that no dirt could get on it it can't get wet it can't nobody can it's basically a a, a box and you can put it your bag in there so that nothing happens to it and you can open so the bag. That would be very good for safety and security. Right. It wouldn't be good if somebody's trying to display their handbag. Oh, so you found the the flaw in my plan, which was the safety and security. See, I'm more interested in the safety and security than in showing off my airmate handbag that is six months of somebody's rent apparently in connecticut um all right anyway for all your fun and games here is what i'm gonna do since we are at the end of the show i'm going to um, grab all of these and throw them into the end of the vod um and you can go Maybe I can do that at the front. See, but people come and go, and it's really tough. Um, but at the very end, you'll be able to grab all of these, I think, from now on. Um, and go to, you can go to uh, hometown.com slash elections. And there you can vote and follow all of the links. Um, we we kind of promote the voting aspect of it, but um, it's not fundamental to do so. You, you don't have to. Um, but right now you're going to have to sign up as a citizen to vote uh, because right now it's behind our login just for now. It's not. You can actually vote. Uh, without being logged in. Right oh, now. right. Right, right, right. I forgot that that one was still open. Um, there's other things that you won't be able to. Um, actually, most of the site. You'll be able to see all of the news like this. Um, but if you're not logged in, you won't be able to go to any of the articles. Um, and there are other pages that won't function unless you are 
um, a citizen of hometown so you can check that one out but the voting is still public and you can follow the links there you just won't be able to get into the articles um okay so that is it for hometown daily dun 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 find anything that you might want to talk about tomorrow sag after agrees to uh, mediation but won't extend contract deadline well that basically means negotiation is mediation just more intensely i suppose Mm. Yeah, that was the one that really caught my attention. Um, oh, there's also a will, a handwritten will found under Aretha Franklin's um, sofa. <laughs> oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah, that could be interesting. Hmm. Let's see, should I get another Android phone? Google's value packed Pixel 6a is just $249. They must be competing with the um, the Prime Day deals. There have been a lot of those um, floating through hometown. It is, yeah. There was an article that was like, oh, people are getting basically bamboozled by a made-up day uh, from Amazon. Well, it's a juggernaut for crying out loud. You know, you can make yourself a millionaire by selling something on Amazon one item for crying out loud all it has to do is become a fan favorite and everybody's going to be buying it and it's zero friction you just go there and they already have your credit card they already have your shipping address if you're a prime customer then it's free just make a good product and sell it like crazy and this isn't i'm not being sold on anything it's an absolute value i don't have to go anywhere go ahead there was also an interesting one. Um, AI can't even tell you the chronological order of Star Wars movies. That's a little farther up. Dear God, what is AI good enough for then? It's, it basically is just going to spew out BS nonstop, isn't it? <clears throat> sure first, seems like it. The first OLED iPad Pro is on track for next year. Yeah, it looks like I'm going to be renewing every two. Yeah, I want an OLED iPad Pro because OLED is when it's black, it's off. And you, it's, it's just a better experience for anybody that appreciates color. Um, let's see. First, first bank of the U.S. to be transformed into museum. That'll be interesting, right? And this, we've already found like five articles and it's only the first half of the first page. Right. Some of that was only 17 minutes ago. <laughs> and we reach A back. A lot of that was actually. <laughs> Each episode is um, as far back as when we stopped um, so assessing the news. Hours. So 24 hours. Um and uh but sometimes we look right up until about five minutes before the end uh, the start of the show to grab something that we might find is really interesting and then bump something else so um who knows what we'll have it's up to you actually go over and vote um and if you find an article that you are interested in talking about send me that link we will soon have the ability in this once you're logged in for a citizen submitted news article and it'll allow you to 
provide the link for us to review it and where we'll uh, submit it. And um, it's a it's a thing, but it's a service that's only provided to the citizens of hometown. So you'll have to sign up for it. That said, that's it for today. I am Merwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the AI that keeps everything in check. Good night, hometown citizens. We will see you tomorrow at 9 p.m. Eastern and probably earlier for other shows. True. I, I played Traveler's Rest today and it lived up to its name. It was really, really chill and it was fun, but so slow. It was like I was dealing with an entire game that was at the same pace as the um, voice acting, the writing, the, the scripting of Diablo 4 because they talk really slow in that game. But emotive, right? They're very, when they say something, you feel it. Okay, good night, everybody. See you tomorrow. Oh, you know what I'm going to do? Bye bye. That was the longest gap between playing that.